Right. Good evening. Good evening. It's great to have you uh, with us. And uh, no matter how many times I tell myself I'm not going to say good evening or good night or whatever, because so many people watch this in so many different places around the world at different times. But anyway, it's 5 p.m. Central Standard Time here in Hueytown, uh, Alabama, where we're uh, broadcasting from. And uh, let's see what I have done here. I have started the um, timer over. I'll get it figured out in just a minute, praise God. There we go. All right. Hitting the uh, trackpad is not what we need to hit to change uh, the camera setting or the screen overlay. So praise God. It is um, great to have you uh, with us uh, wherever you are and whatever time of day it may be. So praise God. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness to us. Father, we just pause for a moment to consider um, how good you have been to us and, Lord, how you've been there for us even when we didn't acknowledge you or recognize it. Lord, you've uh, saved our souls and our, our lives and our spirits renewed and renewing our minds and our emotions, Father, and healing our bodies. Lord, we just, uh, you, you're, again, you're just so good to us, Father, and, and we thank you, Lord, for redeeming our lives from destruction and Lord, as we come before you now, we thank you that we, we come before a holy God, we come before a good God, we come before a loving God. And Father, as we come before your word, we come before you. And we thank you, Father, that uh, Jesus is the word of God. He is the word of God made flesh who dwelt among us. And so, Father, we, we reverence you. We pause for a moment to, to, to just respect and honor and bring our hearts to attention, Father, much in the same way that we may salute the flag of our of our nationality lord where we would stand and put our hand over our hearts father just for that that solemn moment lord we we pause to recognize that that what we're talking about and what we will talk about in our time together now is sacred it's holy it's precious it's it's words and truths that you have given to us from your own heart and mind and lord we ask now that your holy spirit help us understand and process and receive these truths these words Lord, that, that they might become a part of us, that, that your word would renew our minds and transform our lives tonight. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. We humble ourselves before him tonight as well, and we thank you that your holy word and your Holy Spirit will have their way in our lives today. And we pray for these things and agree together uh, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so once again, I'm so glad that you are with us. Let me put the uh, title slide back up. Um, we are uh, cl class number six, and tonight we're going to talk about three stages of development, and hopefully we will get into the ministry of reconciliation. For those of you who have who've taken these classes before, you know that we will spend at least two classes, two and a half maybe, on the ministry of reconciliation and, and exactly what that is. Um, in the scriptures. For the record, a uh, spoiler alert, uh, the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry that has been given to every born-again believer. I've been telling you now for uh, a few um, classes that, uh, I don't know if I ever put that slide up or not, there we go. I've been telling you for a few classes that every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, and the specific ministry that has been committed to every born-again believer is the ministry of reconciliation. Praise God. Now, as we begin, let me remind you of just a couple of things. First of all, we've had technical issues the last uh, two classes, and I apologize to those of you who uh, live stream with us. 
if, if we lose feed tonight, just be patient. We will come right back to you. And I think we've got it resolved. We've, we've, we've got a new configuration on the main computer that's, uh, that's driving and streaming uh, the class, and hopefully that's going to prevent that from happening uh, this evening. But if it does, just be patient. We'll be right back. And then for those of you who watch this class or the other classes uh, later from the archive, you may get to a point where it gets a little wanky and then kind of skips, but again, that's where we lost feed and then rejoined. So, praise God. Let's begin tonight where we left off last class, and that's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, verses 9 and 10 actually, and I'll put those on the screen. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I'm going to leave this uh, verse on the screen for a moment. I want you to realize that this isn't just talking about somebody, this is talking about you. The, these verses are referring to what became true of you when you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. He didn't say you will be a chosen generation, he said you are a chosen generation. He didn't say if you go to church enough times and play your spiritual cards right that maybe one day you'll become a royal priesthood. He said you are, you are now, present tense, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said you were once not a people, but you're now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained it. You have received mercy. Now, to connect this New Testament passage with where we were last week, last class was, was titled, A Nation of Priests. And what we see is that when God brought His chosen people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, that He told them that He wanted them to become a nation of priests, to represent all the other nations of the earth uh, you know, to, to God Himself. But we see that the nation of Israel did not want to do that. They refused the call of God, the option that God had for them. And so it wound up one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, that actually served as the priests for the rest of the nation of Israel. But God never gave up on his dream of having a nation of priests. And so now as the body of Christ, we are that chosen generation. We are that royal priesthood. We are that holy nation. We're God's own special people. He told them Back And there's lots of tie-ins here. We, we made those connections last class. I want to try to go back and do all that again. But remember, he told them when they first came out of slavery in Egypt that they would be a special people to him, his own special people. Well, now, praise God, he has brought us into that position, into that place. And so it's very important for us to understand who we are now as as, as these classes progress and as we develop more and, and we have time to lay more of a, of a foundation, we will spend uh, a lot of time on who we are in Christ Jesus. We became something the day we became born again. We, be, we became a new creation, the Bible says. And in this new creation that we became, 
is identified for us in Scripture. And so here, again, we have one of many, many verses that talk about who we are, who we became the day we became this new creation in Christ Jesus. All right, let's do just a little bit of uh, review as well. We said that an eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. I like to say it this way, God has more than a 100-year plan for your life. We've also said that you are Generation Christ. The prophet asked who would carry on uh, seeing that Jesus was executed before having had the opportunity to marry a wife and have children to carry on his name. Well, we are that chosen generation. We are Generation Christ. And then we said that every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Now, on last class, I gave you some statistics, and I'm not going to just rehearse all those numbers, but if you've been around uh, Christianity and if you've been involved in church for very long, um, you know that not everyone is interested in being involved and serving. And this is a problem in the body of Christ. It's, it's one that, amen, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is helping us solve and resolve. But it's not just a ministry problem, it's a discipleship problem. Remember, all effective ministry is an extension of our daily walk with the Lord. And so in order for us to be effective in this thing called ministry and serving God and by serving other people, we've first got to make this uncommon commitment of a discipleship. And so because there are so many people who are not willing to make the commitment to discipleship, we see that there are a lot of people then who don't see the need or the importance in any kind of ministry. But God's purpose for you, God's plan for you is ministry. The pathway to your best life is a pathway of, of serving God and serving others. Now, when we are young and immature, and I, I mean both spiritually as well as physically, when we're young and immature, our growth and development is dependent upon those who serve us and care for us. Um, my daughter just gave birth, uh, what, 10 days ago now, uh, to my second grandson. And little Samuel, I was holding him last night. And it's just almost overwhelming when you consider how utterly dependent he is upon other people, um, you know, for his care. I mean, he has to be fed. He has to be bathed. He has to be, his diaper has to be changed. Somebody has to do every bit of that for him. But as he grows and develops, right, uh, he will become less and less dependent upon other people serving and caring for him and be able to, to, to you know, care for himself. But we reach a point, listen very carefully, we reach a point in both our physical as well as our spiritual growth and development where continued growth depends upon taking the step of doing things for other people, right? So, in, in other words, if, if it's always somebody doing it for you, you can only grow so far. And then if you learn to do it, but you only do it for yourself and nobody else, you can grow beyond you know, where you were, but you can only grow so far. The giant leap forward and, and towards greater maturity is when we move beyond ourselves and actually serve someone else. So you'll never grow and develop into your full potential until you learn to take this step. Now, we could, we could think of it as, um, as three stages of growth, and uh, let's talk about that real quick, like. The first stage would be babies, 
Babies are totally dependent upon others to prepare and feed them their food. Children need someone to help prepare their food, but can at least feed themselves. Adults can prepare a meal and feed it to others. It just so happens that the Bible tracks our spiritual growth along the same lines of our physical growth and development, in that the Bible refers to those who are as spiritual babies, those who are as spiritual children, and then those who are as spiritual adults, those who have reached full maturity. And I'm offering to you again that, that these are some of the most important factors in our spiritual growth and development, is progressing from somebody doing everything for us to doing it, some of it for ourselves, but then making that giant step forward where we actually uh, serve and minister to other people. So we could say all that, just sum it up this way, ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. Ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. If you refuse to serve others, if you refuse to minister to others, you're only going to grow so far. Now, when we start talking about discipleship, you know, so many in the body of Christ think of discipleship as like, you know, beginner stuff. You know, it's like, okay, so we got somebody born again, now let's send them to a new converts class, and let's teach them some basics, let's teach them some foundational stuff, and, and that sort of thing. And so it's almost like we need to get the, you know, all this stuff in place first, and then talk about ministry. On one hand, I, I do agree with that, but what I have witnessed in my own life, as well as in the lives of other people, is that the sooner someone can get involved in doing something for God and somebody else, the better. Because when it comes to our spiritual growth and development, it's not year for year. Do you understand what I mean by that? So I mentioned the grandson that was just born 10 days ago. I have another grandson that's two and a half. And he's two and a half going on 14. I mean, it's amazing how advanced he is. And I know I'm a, you know, sounds like a boasting grandfather here, but I'm, I'm telling you, uh, the, the, the kid is, uh, is uh, anyway, thank, thank God for him. And the same can be true in, in our spiritual growth and development. Either, in other words, someone can be born again for a relatively short period of time, but, but grow in leaps and bounds and become a very developed person in the things of God. The other side of that coin is, there are people who've been born again for decades and are still like spiritual children, still like spiritual babies. Hebrews 5 talks about this. He says, you know, you're at a point where you've been in church long enough, you should be ministering to others and, and teaching others, but you have need of someone to go back to the foundational truths and teach them to you again. Now, a fundamental of discipleship is to recognize that we have been saved for a purpose. We have been saved for a purpose. Far too many in the body of Christ view their salvation as the end of the journey instead of as the beginning of the journey. When you receive Jesus, that's not where your journey with Jesus ends. It's, where, it's the doorway into the life that God originally intended for you to live. So along with that goes this uh, viewpoint um, that the purpose for our salvation is a means uh, to get into heaven when they die. Now, it, it would be easy to you know, get on a soapbox and, 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 and talk about this, but in fairness to folks who have that perspective on salvation, in fairness to them, that's more than likely how salvation was presented to them. 
It was presented to them as a, you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven, so if you don't want to go to hell and you do want to go to heaven, then you need to do this. And because that's how the, the, the message of salvation is presented to so many people, especially in this country in the United States, then no wonder so many people view their salvation as simply a means to get into heaven one day when they die and not much more than that. So let's go to John chapter 17. Let's look, let's look a little closer at, at some of these things. John chapter 17, and let's begin at verse 14. We'll look at 14, um, probably through at least through 18, but let's, let's begin at verse 14. Amen. John 17. Now, I, I hear folks in the room turning there, and, and so no doubt uh, there are those of you who are watching right now that are also turning. So while you're turning, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about John uh, chapter 17. It is one of the more special and unique chapters that we have in all the Word of God because John 17 is a recording of Jesus praying. Jesus knows that He is about to be betrayed by Judas. He's about to be delivered into the hands of, of angry men who are going to beat Him and punish Him. The Bible's very clear about it. Jesus knew what He was facing. He knew what He was going to endure. And so He wants to find a place to pray. And in John chapter 17, we see first that Jesus prays for Himself. Sometimes you know, I teach on you know, not being selfish and not being self-centered, not being focused on yourself because it's, it's such a problem with so many of us that I inevitably have people ask me, well, should, should we not pray for ourselves? Well, Jesus prayed for Himself, and so Jesus is our example in all things. So if Jesus prayed for Himself, then we should certainly pray for ourselves. But when Jesus prays for himself, after he prays for himself, he prays for those who are the closest to him. That would be his inner circle. And then in John chapter 17, after he prays for himself and after he prays for those who are the closest to him, he then prays for you and me. And how do we know that? We know that because he says, I'm now going to pray for all of those who will believe because these men and women are going to go and preach. And if you think about it, we are believers today because somebody in that original group of Jesus' closest uh, uh, partners were bold enough to go and tell somebody else about Jesus who told somebody else about Jesus who told somebody else about Jesus who finally told the person who told you and me about Jesus. So we believe today in Jesus because that original group took the ball and ran with it, so to speak, and went and preached the gospel. Okay, They went and preached the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. So John chapter 17, and we, let, let me, before I, so I said all that to say, we know from scriptures that Jesus did a lot of praying. And we know that there were times when he would minister all day and pray all night. And so he was a man of much prayer, but what makes this so special is that we have a glimpse into him praying. We have a glimpse into how he prayed and, and, and the words that he used and, and what what his heart was focused on when he prayed. And, and so it's, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful uh, scripture that I hope I have stoked uh, some interest in your own heart to maybe uh, take the whole chapter and read it before you go to bed tonight. But stay focused with me now on some of the things we're going to look at from that, from this chapter. So John chapter 17 and verse 14, Jesus says this, I have given them, he's talking to his father, he says, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, I'll leave that on the screen for a moment, but let me, let me talk about some of this, okay? He's, ta- he's talking about our being in the world, but not of the world. Matter of fact, let me just, um, let me kind of pull that out of this, because we see that Jesus is, is repeating that part. And so what's the takeaway here? The takeaway here is that we're, we're in this world, okay, but we are not of this world. What, what, is, what does that mean? Well, um, I heard a gentleman at, uh, it, was, it was a word explosion, uh, was the name of the conference, and I was listening to him preach last Friday online, and he was talking about the Israelites in Egypt, and he said this, and I've never heard it said this way, but it's so simple, but it's so profound. He said that God's people, they were not just in Egypt, but specifically they were in Goshen in Egypt. Goshen was the place, it was a good land, the Bible says. Goshen was the place where when Joseph brought his family to Egypt, that Pharaoh said they could live anywhere they wanted to live. And this would have been like the national park in Egypt. And this was like, you know, some of the most beautiful land in the world, especially in Egypt. And this was where you know, Joseph's family went to live, and of course, 430 years later, there are millions of people, and they've been enslaved uh, by Egypt. But why is that important? They were in Goshen in Egypt. When all the plagues and all the things were happening in greater Egypt, we see that Goshen was protected. They were in Goshen while in Egypt. So the Bible says that a darkness, for instance, one of the plagues was darkness covered the whole land of Egypt, even in the middle of the day. They said it was a darkness that was so thick that you could feel it. Man, it almost kind of sounds a little spooky or something, doesn't it, right? But guess what? The Bible says the lights were on in Goshen. So what was going on all around them in Egypt was not taking place in Goshen. So we're in this world, But while we're in this world, we're also in God's kingdom. We're in the kingdom in the world. We're in Christ in the world. So when he says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world, we see that we are here on assignment. Notice Jesus says, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to to protect them from the evil one while they remain here. So this is a very important truth for us to understand. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're we're of another world. We've been born of the Spirit. We've been born from above. We've been born of God. And we represent, remember, discipleship is learning how to represent Jesus both in life and ministry. We represent Him in this world. Now, amen. Let me see here. Praise God. I did it to myself that time. Every now and then I'll be sitting here teaching and it's like people don't realize, I guess, what time it is and they start sending me all these messages and they keep popping up on my iPad. And I went to silence that one and guess what I did? I completely lost my notes, but I'm pulling them back up. Y'all with me still? Everybody good? All right. So here we go. Praise God. No, we're not. 
I'm almost there. We got a lot of notes, and this is just a part of them. Okay, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Sister Pam, while I'm doing this, would you mind turning the air conditioning down in here? Are y'all warm? Amen. If y'all are not, it's okay. I'm good if y'all are, are good. All right, so here we are. Let's put this back up here. <clears throat> so he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus was, was from above, right? And so we've been born from above like Jesus was born from above, but he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now that word sanctify is an important word. It simply means to be set apart. He says, set them apart from the world by your word. Your word is truth. So the word of God will separate you from things that you need to be separated from. And it'll separate you to the things that you need to be separated to. Now, Listen to this next verse, John chapter 17 and verse 18. I put it on a screen all by its lonesome, amen, all by itself. It says this, it says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Think about that for a moment, what he's saying here. I don't think anyone would argue that Jesus was sent into this world on assignment. He was sent here with a purpose to fulfill. He had a job to do. As a matter of fact, when he was very young, he started to understand that job and that assignment before he was physically and mentally and emotionally mature enough uh, to pull it off. And he goes and, and he sits down with a bunch of doctors of, 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 the, of the Old Testament and is in there having discussion with them while his mom and dad thinks they're with relatives, and, and what Jesus went missing, was it two, two and a half days, almost three days? You know, and they finally find him in a panic, and they're like, what are you doing, son? And he's like, did you not know I had to be about my father's business? So he, he began at a very early age to understand that he had a purpose, he had an assignment. Well, in the same way that Jesus has been sent into this world on assignment, you have been sent into this world on assignment. We're in this world, not of it, just like Jesus was in this world, not of it. And we're here, amen, to make a difference. Look at this next verse, verse number 23. He, Jesus says this, he says, I'm in them and you're in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's one of the more amazing verses in all the Bible, not just in the 17th chapter of John. He says, I'm in them. See, if you're born again tonight, Jesus is in you. And because Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus, and you're now in Jesus, in, an, in another passage, He refers to you, me, Himself, and Father God in the pronoun, the plural pronoun, us. Us. So we've been brought into this family business as well. Now we have a, a tagline here at Heritage Christian Center. And our, our tagline is taken from this verse, John 17 and 23. And it's, it's very simple. It's so the world may know. Those of you who are watching on video, I have been doing it just the opposite, I think. And I apologize for that. Uh, let me put that back up right quick. Okay, there we go. So the world may know. He says, and, and that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. 
And so one of the main reasons that we exist as the body of Christ is so the world may know that God the Father sent His Son into this world. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, think, think along these lines with me, all right? Some in the body of Christ, some in the body of Christ want to be like the world while others are only interested in escaping the world. But Jesus left us here to change the world. So we have the, we have the three different positions. Wanting to be like the world, wanting to just get out of here and find some escape from the world, or be used by God to change the world. One more time, be like it, escape it, <laughs> or change it. Now, this is one of those situations that I, I'm just going to kind of go out on a limb here. I believe that when you hear it like that, um, <clears throat> be like it, escape it, change it, that one of those, it's almost like this clear bell that rings inside of you. There's one that registers with us, and, and if it doesn't, I pray that it will very soon. And of course, the one that should register with us is that we have been uh, put here on this earth, left here on this earth, to change the world for the glory of our Creator Father. Let me, let me just go off script for a moment and try to talk to you from my heart about these things. When, when you really love someone, you want to be with them. I, I know Miss Gail is here, and she has family here in Alabama, and then she has family in Louisiana. And so she goes to Louisiana and she loves her family there and she ministers to them and cares for them and helps them and nurses them there. And then she comes back here. And then she goes back there because she can't be in both places at the same time. But anytime she's away from one group and with the other, she wants to be with the ones that she's separated from. It's only natural when you really love somebody that you want to be with them. And, and, and so when we talk about the love that Jesus and Father God have for us, the same is true. They desperately long for us to be with them in heaven. That, this is why, and it, it sounds confusing to a lot of people, it just has to do with a different perspective of things that heaven has. The Bible says that when one of God's saints passes from this life, when they die, that it's precious in His sight. I never forget the first time I read that verse, death being precious doesn't sound precious to me. You know, death can be painful. Death, death can, is, oh my goodness, I, mean, I don't even want to go there, right? And, and there's not a person listening to me right now that hasn't had someone that's close to them, some more than others, that, that have passed from this life. But Father sees it from a different perspective. You know, for us, it's a goodbye. On the other side, it's a come on home. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, welcome, it's a welcome home, right? And, and so to understand how much he, he loves us. I know, you know, when our kids were young and, and growing up and this time of year when school would start back, we, we had a, a circle of friends that had, you know, kids roughly our children's ages. And, and some of those parents could not wait for school to start back. I mean, they're like, oh man, praise God, get these kids out of my hair. You know, they, they had that, that attitude. Pam and I were never like that. We were always a little bit sad when our kids would go back to school. Because again, we enjoyed having them with us. We enjoyed spending that time. Now, why, why am I saying all this? Why am I 
trying to you know, present this in a way to you that's more relatable. The idea that Father has left us here as long as He wants us, to, as much as He longs for us to be with Him, should communicate to us, at least on some level, how important our assignment actually is. How, how, how much Jesus is praying, Father, please don't take them out of this world. They're this chosen generation. They're generation Christ. They're the royal priesthood. They're going to take what I started and, 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 and they're going to spread it to the whole world. They're going to go into all the world and make disciples of, of every nation. So just, just, I'm trying to communicate with you on a, on a, on a level that you can understand it and, 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 and relate to tonight. Father loves you. He longs for you. Would to God that we long for Him the way He longs for us. But He has chosen during this season for us to be here while He's there. That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you like a bunch of orphans. I'm not going to leave you without any help. I'm not going to leave you, uh, you know, in some lurch where you don't know what to do and don't have anybody to help you. He goes, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God to not just be beside you, but to be inside of you, to empower you and to lead you and to equip you and to gift you so that you can carry out your purpose and assignment here on this earth. Amen. All right, let's go now to John chapter 3. John, the third chapter, and verse number 1. John chapter 1, John chapter 3, verse number 1. Praise God. Just know that He loves you. How much does He love you? We just read a verse that He loves you with the same love that He loves Jesus with. I know for a lot of us that's, that is very, very difficult for us to comprehend, but that is the love that God has for you. Remember we said that, that His original design and intention for you was for you to be as Jesus is to Him. That's why you're not, you're not just a child of God, you're an heir of God and a co-heir, a joint heir together with Jesus. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that you're seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. It's not just words, it's not just something that Father got carried away with himself you know, in a Valentine's Day card and wrote something that he didn't mean. He means this when he says that he loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus with. Now, John chapter 3 and verse number one, all right? Most of us are familiar with John chapter 3 because of verse 16. And verse 16 is one of the, if not the most you know, popular verse in the Bible. But there's context that surrounds verse 16 that is also very, very important for us to understand. So let's, um, let's jump in here. John chapter 3, verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, let's, let's talk for a minute about who this guy is and what it means to be a Pharisee. In Judaism, or we could just simply say the Jewish religion, in Jesus' day there were three divisions or... In our 
modern day Christian way of saying things, we might say three denominations. That's really not accurate. Um, we would want to use the word um, sex, S-E-C-T-S, like think of something being dissected. Um, three different denominations or sects of the um, Jewish uh, religion. You had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, and then there's another group that was referred to as the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S. -S -E -E Let's deal with the Essenes first. John the Baptist would have fit into that category. Okay, they were, they were uh, very zealous, they were very passionate, um, they, they were, they were, they were go-getters, all right, uh, but also considered by some to be a little out there, fanatical, maybe we could, we could say, all right. The Sadducees were a very wealthy group. Now, we have denominations like this in, in Christianity, but I'm, I'm not here to insult uh, any denomination. It's not my place, not my point. But the Sadducees were among the wealthiest of the Jews. They fell into this group. And the thing about Sadducees is they did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in uh, life after death. Uh, they did not believe in the raising of the dead. There, there, there were a lot of different beliefs in the group that, that would have you know, called Sadducees. Then you have this group called Pharisees. Now, Nicodemus, of course, was a Pharisee. A Pharisee did believe in the supernatural. A Pharisee did believe in the raising of the dead. They believed in miracles. They believed in, uh, in, in, in angels and demons and, and demons being cast out and, and all of that stuff. Uh, Pharisees, uh, let me, I meant to say this more for myself and more for my benefit than anybody else's tonight, but um, better late than never. Let's just take a deep breath and relax, and let's just spend some time together in the Word of God. Uh, get you a notepad and a pencil and a Bible, and I almost wish that we could all just gather around a giant table and, and talk, but obviously uh, we're doing that in the Spirit, Okay. So I'm going to just kind of take a deep breath. If we don't get to the ministry of reconciliation tonight, it'll be okay, all right? So let's, let's talk about this very, very, very important passage of Scripture in a way that maybe you've heard before. Maybe I can share some things with you about this that you've never heard before that are really going to open it up for you. But remember, I'm doing all this not just so that you'll have a lot of background information about these things, but I'm, I'm doing this so that ultimately you can understand where Nicodemus was coming from and, and, and what Jesus had to say to him, but also what Jesus had to say to you and me in all of this. If you only hear what Jesus said to Nicodemus and never hear what Jesus is saying to you in this, then we're, we're, we're almost wasting our time. Okay, So he's bringing out some things here and saying some things here that we don't really find... Um, uh, at least in the way Jesus said them, <laughs> anywhere else leading up to that. Now, from this point forward through the end of the Bible, we're going to see these things expounded upon more and more. Um, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, made it very clear that when Jesus came 
Father God began to reveal things to us that had been kept hidden, that had been kept a secret from the foundation of the world. Things that no one was let in on until Jesus came and, and opened that lid. And then the Holy Spirit came and took what Jesus introduced to us and used those holy apostles to expound upon it and develop it even further so that we could grow up into these things ourselves. Not just so that we could all be impressed with what somebody knows or what somebody discovered or what God showed somebody, but He's showing you and me these things by using all of these different people. And I offer to you tonight that the conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus had on this particular evening is one of the most important conversations that has ever been had in human history. Because Jesus reveals some things here to us that are not just life-changing, they are eternity-changing. So let's go back then to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. This would have meant that Nicodemus believed in miracles. He believed all the way up in, you know, to a miracle where someone could be raised from the dead. Now, here's the unique thing, and this, this is going to help you understand why Jesus waited to go and raise Lazarus from the dead until the fourth day. Okay? If you read that very carefully, you, you hear people incorrectly teach that Jesus just waited around until he died and then went. If you, if you look at how long it, of a journey it took for them to come to Jesus and tell him about Lazarus being sick, Lazarus was dead before those people ever got back um, to his house. And, and so when Jesus makes the trip and arrives there, Lazarus has already been dead four days. Jesus is not dragging his feet you know, and like some people and are putting them to some silly test. That's not what he's doing. Pharisees believed in the resurrection from the dead as long as the individual was raised within a three-day window. So Jesus deliberately waited to raise him on the fourth day. And remember what he said, this may be impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. Not just some three-day limit and after that it's, the door's closed forever. No, God can raise a man from the dead even if he's been dead for longer than three days. But the bottom line of it is the Pharisees believed in these things. Now, <laughs> how long had it been since they had seen these things, right, is, is another a conversation. But like a lot of people in Christianity today, who believe in miracles, although they've never seen one. They, they believe in the supernatural uh, things all the way up to the raising of someone from the dead, but they've never seen it or, or experienced it, uh, you know, firsthand eyewitness or what have you, but still believe it. So before we think, well, you know, how could they believe these things having not seen these things? Well, how do we believe them if, if we, you know, having not seen them ourselves either, okay? Now, let's talk, though, about the Pharisees. Because remember, the Sadducees were very wealthy and, and tended to consider the common man as, you know, the unwashed masses. And so the Pharisees, they begin to realize that the common man, most people in, in their day couldn't read. You know, where most people in our day can. In their day, most people couldn't. And... And so they needed somebody to explain to them the ways of God. They needed somebody to explain to them you know, what God was saying to His people. 
And so the Pharisee denomination began, um, as, as most movements begin, with really good intentions. And that is to help the common man connect with the truth and wisdom of God so that the common man could benefit from the truth and wisdom of God. And so this was at the very heart of Phariseeism, along with their believing in the, the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Now, if you've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that the Pharisees, um, boy, they, they gave Jesus grief at every turn. But we see that along the way, there was a group of religious leaders who um, began, their hearts began to turn to Jesus. They began to realize. And so if you notice here in verse 2, when he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. He's not just saying that he knew it. He's not just saying I know it, but we know it. We know. Which tells me there was a group of Pharisees, not just Nicodemus. Maybe Nicodemus drew the short straw to go have the conversation. And notice he comes by cover of night. He comes when it's dark outside. He's sneaking around. Because the religious establishment has already stated that if any of them align themselves with Jesus, they're going to be put out of the synagogue. Now, let's talk about what it took to become a Pharisee. To become a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have more than likely been selected when he was a very small child. This would have been something that he would have trained for uh, for decades upon decades. A Pharisee, a religious leader in Jesus' day, would have been educated in many different arenas. Uh, in not just religious, spiritual, you know, the Bible so to speak, but also in areas of law and in areas even of health and medicine as primitive as it would have been in those days. This would have been one of the more educated people um, in, in all of Jewish society and, and among the most educated elite in all the world. Now, I don't know if this is true about every Pharisee, but most Pharisees could not only quote the Old Testament, that was the only Bible they had, obviously, the New Testament hasn't been written yet, but a lot of them could quote it backwards. That, that's how intense their training would have been. So I'm telling you all that so you can understand the heart of a Pharisee, you can understand what a Pharisee believed, you can understand, you know, what Pharisees were about, so to speak, but I'm also explaining this to you so that you can understand what Nicodemus was risking just to come and meet with Jesus and have this conversation with him. In other words, there, was, there were burning questions in Nicodemus's heart as well as in the hearts of other uh, you know, colleagues, other Pharisees that he was close with that they knew they would never have an answer for unless they took those answers directly to Jesus. Now, we see that, that other religious leaders would question Jesus openly, um, but they were not doing it because they wanted to know answers. They were doing it because they were trying to ask Jesus some question he couldn't answer so that they could embarrass him you know, publicly. This was not Nicodemus' heart. He was not coming to Jesus to try to get him to say something that he could use against him later to incriminate him or, or prosecute him. He, he came with a sincere heart. He came putting um, a, a lifetime, he came putting a law degree, a doctorate degree, a philosophy degree, uh, all of those things to try to help you relate to him, putting all of that on the line. He could have become unemployed 
that quick um, for this conversation with Jesus. But yet, the questions that he had for Jesus were, um, were extremely important. Now, notice he says, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, if you, so if you look at the four Gospels, you'll see that one of the explanations the religious establishment gave for the miracles that Jesus performed was that He was doing those miracles by the power of the devil. That, that He was casting out demons, for example, by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. So let's think about this for a moment. This one perspective, this one take on the miracles that Jesus did perhaps confirms the miracles that Jesus performed more than any other witness or testimony. Because you have people who literally hated Jesus' guts. You had people who, who could not wait to get something on Him that they could use against Him to murder Him. To murder Him. I mentioned a moment ago that that um, Jesus raised, Nick, uh, raised Lazarus rather from the dead after having been dead for four days. If you read it carefully, you will see that not only did they want to murder Jesus, they wanted to murder Lazarus because the fame of this miracle was spreading and people were coming to see the man who had been dead for four days and Jesus had raised from the dead. And so the religious establishment is like, listen, we, we not only got to get rid of Jesus, we, we got to kill this man. I mean, it's like, um, you know... I'm not defending the mafia, but this is stuff that the mafia... I mean, you talk about some spiritual, um, clandestine... My goodness, where, you know, where these people are coming from. So what is, what's the point I'm trying to make? Why is this perhaps one of the greatest uh, you know, witnesses of Jesus' uh, miraculous power? Notice, they didn't deny that He did miracles. <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? And it, was, it was the miracles that Jesus performed were undeniable to the point that the, 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 the staunch enemies of Jesus, they couldn't say, oh, it was a plant. That person really wasn't crippled. That guy really wasn't demon-possessed. He wasn't really blind. They couldn't say that because they knew these people were blind. They knew these people were crippled. They, I mean, there was no denying Lazarus was dead because his body had already begun to decay and rot. I mean, are you, so, so they have to come up with some explanation. It's not that Jesus didn't do miracles, but that the miracles He did... He did not do with, with the power of God, but He did it by using the power of the devil. So notice then what Nicodemus is saying to him. He says, look, <clears throat> we, we're not exactly sure how you're doing what you're doing, but we know that you're from God because no one could do what you're doing unless God was with him. Now, there's another aspect to all this that you... you you have to understand, and we've mentioned it a little bit when we talked about people who studied under Gamaliel. We talked about this last week um, when you know, they said Jesus was the only one saying what he was saying because they had such a hierarchy in, in their way of, of, uh, of understanding things, and they wanted to put a label on everybody. Let me say that again. They wanted to put a label on everybody. This is, this is what religion does. Religion wants to label everybody and put everybody in their place. Think about it for a moment. As long as Jesus would be who they said He could be, they loved Him. 
He was the darling of religion. He was the child prodigy. He was the great rabbi. He was the great teacher. Maybe, just maybe, jury's still out on it, this guy could be the next great prophet. See, as long as he was playing by their rules and, and, and was being who they said he could be, they loved him. They were fine with him. They turned on him when he refused to be who they said he could be and he proclaimed who God said he was. Now, I point that out to you because religion still is doing that today. Religion wants to tell you what you can do, when you can do it, who you can be, and, 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 and I may lose some of you, you may turn me off right now, I pray that you don't, okay? But see, religion says that a woman can't minister. Religion says that a woman can't teach. Religion says all these things. We see prophetesses in the Bible. What is that? It's a female prophet, if you're wondering what a prophetess is. I mean, I, Lord, don't even get me started on all that, praise God. Um, and there's a lot of women in this room right now, and I'm not just catering to them. Amen. I got some love for you back there, Jeff. Praise God. But, but, but again, that, see, religion is still doing that today. So at one point they asked Jesus this, this question, and boy, they gave themselves away when they asked it. They said, who do you make yourself out to be? Because, see, religion is all about, you know, who you make yourself out to be and, and, and how you can get you know, the peers to recognize you and give you a label, give you a name tag, give you an office, give you a credential, give you this, give you that. Jesus was not about all that. He didn't, he didn't play that game with him. He came to be who he... So let's go back to what we said last week. Remember what he told him. He said, look guys, even if I'm the only one saying it, I'm not, okay, but even if I'm the only one saying it, it's true because I'm saying what my father said. So I'm one, he's two, there's your two witnesses. And this is what he said. He said, remember, he said, I know where I came from. I know who I am. And I know where I am going. See, he, he knew all of that. So when, when, you know, they're almost like, you know, um, wanting to take their, their uh, bat and ball and glove and, and go home because, you know, Jesus didn't play in by their rules um, any longer. So, the beautiful thing about it, though, is that, is that Nicodemus didn't get caught up in all of that. Um, he, he recognized, as he watched Jesus do what Jesus was doing amongst the people, that there's no way that, there's, there's no way that this was being done by the power of the devil, that this, this had to be God in some way. Now, Nicodemus is still, he's trying to figure it out, right? He's trying to figure out, like, because he's doing what he knows to do. He's searching the Scriptures. And, and remember they said, he can't be the Messiah. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was from Nazareth. Except for he didn't do his homework, right? He was born in Bethlehem. So you know, he's trying to figure it out and put the pieces together that way. And, and none of this is making sense. But he knows that what he's witnessing is not the devil, that it's of God. Let me... Let me share just a little bit of my story. Um, I was uh, raised in uh, the Southern Baptist Church and so thankful for my upbringing, so thankful for you know, my Baptist brothers teaching me about salvation and I was baptized in water. I was a member of the Baptist Church, they, Sunday school, um, you know, royal ambassadors, you know, training union, all of those things w w was my uh, upbringing and I'm so, so thankful um, 
uh, for that. There was one thing, though, and I know a lot of this is changing with, with our, our Baptist brothers and sisters, and I'm hearing more and more of it, and it's making me smile really big from the inside. But back in the 1970s, the Baptist church that I was raised in, um, they said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not for today and that it had ceased. The technical terminology is a cessationist. That's someone who believes that the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues ceased um, with the, the last, when the last apostle passed away. And so if it's not of God, it can only be from one source. That's the devil. And so we were told that speaking in tongues was not for today and that anyone who did it, they were doing it... <laughs> Isn't it funny? Religion doesn't come up with any new arguments, do they? That it's of the devil, right? That anybody who speaks in tongues today, it's of the devil, right? And so that's, that's what we were told. I will, I will never forget the first time I saw, uh, and, and for me it was a bunch of teenagers, uh, on a Sunday night, when they were a bunch of them were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had never seen anything like that in my life. Had never experienced it, never witnessed it. I'd, I'd slipped up to the front row. Now, you know, you, I got a little too close to the creek and I slipped in that night, okay? But I just got up, not because I was there to, I didn't even know anything about receiving or any of that, but I was drawn to it. And I remember sitting there watching it and I remember big tears start to run down my cheeks, okay? And my mother said this later. She said, how could anything that makes you love Jesus this much be from the devil? At that night, we realized right there, we've been lied to, man. This is, this is not from the devil. This, this is God in a way that we've never seen him express himself through other people and to other people, but, but this has to be him. And so some of you heard the rest of the story from me. There was a gentleman who was sitting in the choir, so he had a perspective watching me. He was in the choir. He saw me, and the Lord laid it on his heart. Brother Keith Ellis, Pastor Keith Ellis, um, he wasn't a pastor then. He, was, he hasn't even, hadn't even gone to Bible college at that point. He was just a young man in the choir. He slipped out of that choir, came down there, put his arm around me sitting on the front row, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit that night. Um, and so I think this is how I relate to what was going on in Nicodemus's heart, that he was watching Jesus minister. He was watching Jesus set people free. Um, let, let, me, let me give you like two examples. One guy that Jesus healed, uh, his, his arm was all shriveled and, and withered up. We don't know exactly if it was some accident or, or you know, some hereditary thing. We have no idea. Um, but we know that on the Sabbath, and according to Jewish law, you can't work on the Sabbath. And so they were all waiting with bated breath to see if Jesus was going to heal this man on the Sabbath. And and Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Which one of you, if, if, if your ox needs to be fed on the Sabbath, do you not go and, and get him a bucket of corn? And yet here is one of God's children. And so Jesus told him to stretch forth his hand. He healed him on the Sabbath, but he just so happened to heal him on the wrong day. Okay? And they wanted to kill, not, not just reprimand, not just get Jesus out of there, not just excommunicate Him. They wanted to kill Him for healing that man on the wrong day. Matter of fact, they said, there are seven days in the week, let Him come on another day and be healed. Okay? Alright? Now, watch this. This lady comes in, and 
she also, I don't again, if it was an accident, if it was something from birth, if it was some kind of disease, but the Bible says that she was bent over at the waist and could not stand up straight and had been in that condition for 18 years. She comes. When do people normally go to, the, go to church? They go on the Sabbath, at least in their day, right? So, and again, they're all like sitting there seeing if he's going to do it. And he looks at them and he says, this is a daughter of Abraham. She has been bound by Satan these eight years. Another minute. Again, they filed into the back of their minds. We'll kill you for this one day, Jesus. Now here's the thing. Watch this. Are we to believe that that religious spirit is not still alive and well on planet Earth? See, they're still, them religious devils, man, I'm telling you, they, they are still, uh, I hate to tell you, but they're still alive and kicking, all right? So when they said, he's doing this by the power of the devil, I want to bring up something that is, is when I say controversial, it's not controversial, but it's something that the devil uses to try to condemn and, and intimidate a lot of people. And, and, and it's the unpardonable sin. But this was what Jesus, when they said He's doing this by the power of the devil, this is where Jesus gave them strong warning. He said that if you attribute something that, that God has done in the Holy Spirit, if you attribute that work of God by the Holy Spirit to the work of the devil, He says you are committing a sin from which you cannot be forgiven. Now, I've had people ask me over the years, that, like, you know, Pastor Mark talked to me about this, and most of the time when people want to talk to me about it, it's because they believe, the devil has tried to convince them that they have committed this unpardonable sin. First of all, um, if you're listening to me right now and are wondering if that's you, I can just about guarantee you it is not, because you would have no desire to listen to me for five seconds, much less how long have we been live streaming? Over an hour now, okay? But... There's a side to this that is so simple that I think a lot of people overlook it. And here it is. How do we call Jesus Lord? The Bible says no man can call Him Lord but by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if we're going to recognize Jesus as our Savior, we're going to have to have the Holy Spirit's help in doing that. So if we're saying that what the Holy Spirit does is what the devil does, and, and we have that confused in our minds, we have basically just excluded ourselves from the only one who can help bring us to a place of repentance. So it's not like God says, okay, you just crossed the line. You're, you're over for eternity. I think there's more to it than that. Because when we reject the Holy Spirit, we reject the only means by which we can have our eyes open to salvation. So when Nicodemus says, look, I know what my, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, he's, he's, can you imagine how nervous he probably was? I mean, can you imagine like looking over his shoulder and stuff, you know, and, you know, he's been told all these things about Jesus. He's a nut. He's demon. See, the religious establishment, again, when he wouldn't be teacher, when he wouldn't be rabbi, when he wouldn't be potentially prophet in waiting, then he went to demon-possessed Samaritan with suicidal tendencies. 
I mean, it's no in between there, right? I mean, you're either going to be who we said you are or we're going to destroy you, okay? It's not edifying and there's no need to go into it. But Pam and I have been, been through some of that religious junk right there, okay? In other words, we've had people, you know, say, anyway, <laughs> ah, it's good to be free. It's so good to be free. Amen. All right, so he's putting a lot on the line. And if, I don't know about you, but like if I have an important conversation of this type, I kind of rehearse it, you know, in my head. I mean, like, you know, you, let's, let's, let's say as a, as a supervisor, you've got to confront somebody on maybe poor job performance. Or let's say you're going to your boss and you're going to ask for a raise. You know, we, we, we kind of, maybe even to the point that we like rehearse the conversation. Hey, I think I'm going to say it this way, honey. See, see how this sounds to you. You know, in other words, we, we put a lot of thought into it. And so I believe that Nicodemus had put a lot of thought into this when he, you know, says, <clears throat> uh, Rabbi, you know, if I may here for a minute, um, we know your teacher come from God, all right? In other words, I'm not, I'm not amongst those people that think what you're doing is from the devil. I know that what you're doing, you know, God is with you. Nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with him, okay? Now, verse 3, I'll put it on the screen. I'll come right back, okay? Jesus answered and said, right? Did anybody hear a question? <laughs> See, Jesus fixed to answer him, right? But there's, there's no question, right? Actually, there is a question. It's just Nicodemus doesn't know how to ask it. He, does, he doesn't know how to ask the question to get the answer that he needs, but Jesus knows the answer that he's looking for. And so Jesus anticipates the question he doesn't know how to ask and goes ahead and gives him the answer. What's the, what is the answer? Jesus answered him and said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. At this point, I'm, I'm almost, I believe, now you don't have to believe this to go to heaven, but I believe we get our desire to record and preserve things on film and video. I believe that we get that from being created in the image and likeness of God. In other words, I believe that we like to preserve those things because the God who created us to be like himself likes to preserve those things, okay? Now, if this sounds far-fetched to you, I can't necessarily show it to you in the Scriptures, but I believe one day we will be able to watch a video, whatever they have in heaven, okay, uh, of this conversation. I believe this was recorded. Let, 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 me, let me tell you one of the things that I base that upon, all right? I base that upon this. In, in the book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, the Bible says that every time a group of people get together and talk about God, that God records it and writes it down in a book. Think about that now. We've come together at a, at a kind of a strange hour, 5 o'clock on a Wednesday uh, afternoon here in the United States, right? And, and we've come together to talk about our Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and their precious Word and to learn and grow together. And the Bible, so this qualifies. So this means that somewhere in heaven, there is a record, a written record, of everything that's going to be said and done, a list of the names of those who participated. I believe there's a list of those who came in person. There's a list of those who watched online. There's a list of those who watched later. 
If Jesus tears his return to the earth and somebody stumbles across this video on the World Wide Web 25 years from now and watches it, they'll go and they'll add their name. 25 years post-date, so-and-so, so-and-so watched it, watched um, 45 minutes of it, and, and then had to go eat supper. You know, I, 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 you know, again, we keep those kind of records. We keep those kind of details. Pam is, is so organized in our family on these things. Um, when she first came into the family, she would take photographs and she would write, like, people's names on the back and how old they were and what the occasion was. And, and uh, of course, you know, teasing her because, you know, I love you, sweetie. But, like, she, she'll organize her French fries according to length, you know, and figure out which one she wants to eat, you know. So, anyway, I love her, man. I'm telling you, she helps me, okay. And, and um, so it used to kind of be a joke in our family, right? Until 30 years later... My mother pulls out a picture, and she, don't even, she doesn't even know which grandkid it is, hardly. I mean, you know, because, again, when they're babies, it's hard. Is this, is this, and is this, you know? And she's like, man, Pam, I wish you had written, you know, I wish you were around when this picture was taken, you know, so you could write all these details down. So the point I'm trying to make is that, that heaven records these things. And, and I believe one day we'll get to watch, not Hollywood's version of it, we'll get to watch Moses stand there and part that Red Sea, that we'll get to see David kill that giant. That we get to watch the, re- the, the, the video capture uh, of it, right? And this particular conversation, because I've spent so much time thinking about it, meditating on it, imagining it, I, I, for some reason, it may have happened completely different. I don't think they were inside. I think that they were, that they were somewhere outdoors. I picture them sitting like under some like little canopy or awning outdoors, dimly lit, um, a round table, uh, two or three chairs around it, just Jesus and Nicodemus sitting there talking. That's, now, it could be completely different, but um, I, I believe like when we try to imagine and picture uh, you know, these things that the Holy Spirit, because He knows the Holy Spirit was there, right? That, that He can help us um, you know, with these things. I don't believe that as much as Lazarus would have probably felt safer inside I don't believe he, I don't believe he was ready to you know to, to like go behind closed doors somewhere. Uh, but anyway, that's just my thoughts on it. Probably should have kept them to myself. But what we do know is that he begins with this statement, no question mark at the end of it. But he's got a question that he doesn't really know how to ask. And Jesus comes out and says to him, "Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Now, this is the part, this is where I went down this hole. I want to watch this replay of this one day, uh, if it's available in heaven, and I believe that it is. But it's, it's this part right here. I hope that whatever angel was capturing this on whatever they call video in heaven, I hope he zoomed in on Nicodemus' face. <laughs> I would imagine at this point all the blood ran out of his face, right? At this point, he's like, what? is this man talking about? I didn't say anything about born one time, born two times. I didn't say anything about the kingdom of God. I didn't. And it was, it's almost as if, I'm, I'm, have you ever like, um, I'm trying to think of some, some uh, uh, back in the day when you could smoke in, in restaurants, um, Pam and I went out to eat with, uh, with her mom and dad. And it was kind of loud in there, you know, and, um, and so the server, the hostess asked us, smoking or non-smoking? And uh, if it's not, you're not going to laugh at this. I'm not trying to be funny, but it's kind of one of those things in our family, right? 
Um, smoking or non-smoking? And what did she say, Pam? She thought, I mean, we're not even seated yet. She's given her, she wants sweet tea to drink. She, but in other words, she misunderstood, right? And, and so I'm, I'm wondering if like Nicodemus has, I picture this look on his face like, is he hard of hearing? Did he, did he not, how did he get what he said to me out of what I said to him? It, it, it's almost like there's two conversations going here. But Jesus isn't rude. Jesus, Jesus isn't, isn't uh, you know, a rude host. He knows exactly what this man is here looking for. He probably knows that he's in a hurry. So let's just get to it. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus probably at this point is scratching his head. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, let me, let me come back to you, praise God, for a minute. All right. And I, I, I'm, I promise I'm not trying to be funny here, so don't laugh, don't even smile at this. But have you, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you didn't know that they... And there, was, there, was, there was nothing as you began the conversation um, that would give it away that they're not all together there mentally. And you're, you're having a conversation with them and then all of a sudden they just go off on, um, you know, some, it's like, what in the world? You know, it's, you know, that I think is like Nicodemus is trying to think like, they told me he was a demon-possessed Samaritan. They told me this man was a nut case. Because it, 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 it almost has that, but there's something about Jesus, though, when he talks, right? <laughs> Even if you don't understand it, you're like, okay, i got to know more. So I think maybe for a split second, after Nicodemus has a really confused look on his face, he's like, okay, I'll bite, you know. How can a man be born when he's old? Notice now what Jesus is doing. Nicodemus started out trying to steer the conversation, but he doesn't know where this conversation needs to go anyway. Jesus knows exactly where it needs to go, and so Jesus takes the wheel of the conversation, and he begins to steer it. So, but notice he's, so he makes this statement. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, I don't believe, for the record, it doesn't have to be this way, all right? Uh, it may not be this way, but I don't believe that was all Nicodemus was going to say in verse 2. I believe that was kind of his opening statement, and then he was just going to kind of but, you know, he, he took a breath, and when he took a breath, Jesus says, unless you're born again, most assuredly, by the way, most assuredly means brace yourself because what's about to come out of my mouth is not going to seem possible or real to you, but it is absolutely possible, it is absolutely real. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Let's get back over to it. I'll put it back on the screen. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? I'm going to leave that on the screen for a moment for those of you who are um, 
following along at, at home or, or you know, I, I'm, I'm saying that it's, I get some of the feedback I get is, Pastor Mark, you don't leave them up there long enough for, so I'm going to leave that up there for a minute. I'll swap back here in just a second. All right. There's a lot we can cover here. Let's try to cover the most important stuff. So Nicodemus is making a classic mistake here. It's a mistake that people continue to make to this day. One that I'm sure I continue to make, but ask the Holy Spirit to help me not ever make it again. And the mistake is, he's trying to understand spiritual things from a fleshly perspective. He's trying to figure out how a full-grown man can go back inside his mother's womb and be born a second time. Because Jesus used the expression born again. And so Nicodemus is trying to wrap his mind around how that could even be possible. But notice his limitation is he's trying to understand it in a physical sense. How someone can be born physically. So Jesus obviously recognizes Nicodemus' confusion and he, he narrows understanding, but he also narrows what he's talking about here. The first statement was, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now he says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So born again would imply being born a second time. You have to be born once in order to be born again. For that matter, you have to do anything once in order to do it again. So Jesus is explaining that you must be born of water. That's what it means to be born physically. When a mother gives birth, her water breaks. I know there's all kinds of things that people love to you know, interject here and, you know, overlay here. The Bible talks about the water of the Word and all this stuff. And certainly the Word is a key factor in our being born again and all that stuff. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The context is how can a man be born physically twice? Jesus says you're born once of water and the second time of the Spirit. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So notice now what Jesus has just done for us. Jesus has introduced not just that the kingdom is here. We knew about that before this conversation. Jesus went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He went around proclaiming, turn your heart because the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God that was once three heavens away and very hard to access is now present on the earth and is as close to you as your outstretched hand. But now he's telling us how we can see that kingdom and then even enter into it and be a part of it. We're in John 3 now. We started in John 17. John 17, right? You're in the world, but you're not of it. We're here, but we're not born of this planet. We're born from above. We're born of the Spirit. He then says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Let's keep going here. Verse number 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Well, obviously Nicodemus was marveling at that. This was 
you know, we might say it this way, this was boggling his mind, this was blowing his mind, this was, you know, seemingly, you know, unlike anything he had ever um, heard before. Now, Jesus takes it a step further. Verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I don't even know if I'm going to have time to get to this today. But I will interject now that if you've been born again, Jesus is talking about you. Anytime the Bible says something is true about someone who's been born of the Spirit, if you've been born of the Spirit, it's true about you. Are you following me? So he says, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Now, once again, I keep putting these disclaimers in here, because if the Bible doesn't specifically say something, I want you to know that this is my understanding of it, and it could potentially be wrong. But, but you know, the problem with, with, with text communication, like if you text people, you know, it's one-dimensional communication. You can't read the person's face. Uh, that's why we've come up with these little things called emojis. Anybody remember before emojis, you'd put, this, you'd put the semicolon in the parentheses for a happy face? And, because you, you, it's hard to... to it, you, know, you don't know the tone of the voice. You don't know the expression on the faces. You don't know, um, you know if, if they were saying it in a heated way, in a humble way, these kinds of things. I believe that at this point, Nicodemus is getting a little frustrated and I believe he may even kind of raise his voice a little bit. Now, again, you don't have to believe that to go to heaven. It's almost like he's exasperated. How can these things be? Like what in the world? And Jesus said, no, no, you're right, Nicodemus. I'm sorry. Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? What's the implication? Big boy, you've memorized the Old Testament. You should know this. You, you, you have the Word of God. You know the Word of God. You're not ignorant concerning the, 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 the scriptural record. How is it that you're a leader of God's people and you don't know the difference between something that's flesh and something that's spirit? How is it that you try to understand everything that comes out of my mouth from a fleshly perspective when the words that I speak to you are spirit and life? Jesus is not like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, Nicodemus. I, I didn't mean to talk over your head. He's like, come on up here with me. Not, he's not trying to dumb this down or water this down. He, he's trying to bring Nicodemus up to a higher level. One mistake that we cannot afford to make is to bring the Word of God and our understanding of it down to match our experience. You've got to let the Word of God bring your experience up to match what it says. If the Word of God says something is true about you that you're not seeing the fruit of in your life right now, don't say, well, God must be talking about somebody else. Say, Father God, I see in your Word where I'm supposed to be living on this level and I'm living on this level I'm not going to say that you didn't mean 
Well, I, I mentioned the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a moment, a moment ago. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've never spoke with unknown tongues, don't say, well, it's not for everybody, it's not for today, it's, you know, my denomination don't believe this. All See, what are you doing? You're bringing the Word of God down to match your experience. Let the Word of God be the Word of God. Let, let God be true and every man a liar. And if God says it's for today, if God says this gift is for you and for your children and for your children's children, and as many as the Lord our God shall call, then don't try to explain it away and spiritualize your dysfunction and water it down to match your experience. Let the Word of God bring your experience up to, to, to match what it's saying and, and to reflect you know, your experience to be what the Word of God says it should be. Does that make sense? So Jesus isn't like, okay, Nicodemus, I, I know. Look, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have went off on that whole tangent there. What, what did you want to talk about tonight? Let's just do that. No, Jesus knows this is so critically important. This man's whole life and future and leadership of God's people and, and all these things. For the record, when you get towards the, the end, you're going to find out that Nicodemus was all in for Jesus before it was all over with. And that makes me very, very happy for some reason. He said, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, boy, Jesus said that a lot, didn't he? In this conversation, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, let's go one more. Verse 13. No one has ascended. To ascend means to go up. No one has gone up to heaven, but he who came down from heaven... That is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now, for the record, rarely if ever do you hear Jesus teaching the multitudes like He's talking to this man right here. It's because this man is not someone who knows little to nothing about God, little to nothing about the Word of God, little to nothing about the prophecies concerning the Messiah. When Jesus was out there with those multitudes, don't get me wrong now, He's preaching and speaking and calling them up and ministering and signs and wonders and all this other stuff. But Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, you know, as, as a man who, who knows and who should know and who's supposed to know. So when even like, I know for years, when I would read this verse right here, verse 13, I'd just sit there and scratch my head like, Jesus, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure what any of this means right here. Okay? So let's, Let's talk about it. We've got a few minutes. I think we can finish it. If not, we'll jump back in here um, next, uh, next class. <clears throat> when Jesus gets to this part of the conversation, don't miss this now, okay? When Jesus gets to this part of the conversation, He's actually answering for Nicodemus the question Nicodemus originally had in his heart. What was that question? How are you able to do what you're doing because we, me and others of my same status, have witnessed you perform miracles and we know undeniable miracles and you could not have done those miracles unless God was with you. Remember now, this was a man who believed in miracles. This was a man 
who had a heart for people. This was a man who would have loved to be able to heal sick children and feed hungry people with a two-piece fish dinner from Captain D's. He would have... Are you, you know, this, this, was, this was a good man in the sense that he wasn't just trying to figure out how he could kill Jesus and rip off some more people who came to worship God and charge him exorbitant rates for you know, changing the money out and stuff. This man, to the best of his ability, it seems to me like anyway, that he was genuine. But for the life of him, he had no idea how Jesus was able to do what Jesus was doing because according to what he understood, Jesus should not be able to do what Jesus was doing. So when Jesus says to him, you will never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, that's a really important clue right there. Because what Jesus is actually saying is, Nicodemus, the miracles that you're seeing, I'm doing them because of my Father's kingdom. I'm doing them because of my Father's kingdom. Every miracle that Jesus performed on this earth, He performed as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit, using the resources of God's kingdom to produce miracles in people's lives. That's extremely important for you to come to terms with that because Jesus is later going to say, the works that He did, you will do also because He goes to His Father. If Jesus did everything that He did on this earth as God, it would have been impressive, but it would have left us out of the picture. Because if He did it as God, there's no way that we could do it as men and women. But God did, Jesus did not do it as God. He did it as a man. Philippians says He emptied Himself of everything that made Him God and became a man and dwelt among us. Jesus did what He did on this earth as a man. That's why He said, the works that I do, you will do also, and even greater works than these. He's not operating under the Old Testament model of a prophet. This was a specially chosen person that had a portion of God's Spirit placed upon them and that Spirit of God upon that prophet would empower that prophet to go and do signs, wonders, and miracles. Jesus was not operating as the Old Testament prophet. He was operating as one who is in this world but not of this world. He was operating as one who was operating from the kingdom of God, the king's domain, from the realm and the rule and the reign and the resources of God's kingdom. So Nicodemus is trying to see how Jesus is doing what he's doing and he says, Nicodemus, in essence, you will never see it unless you're born again because it's the kingdom that's producing it. And you'll never see that kingdom unless you're born again. Now, this is a, a pivotal verse. Um, let's see, praise God. Verse, verse 8. Let me put it up on the screen by itself. Okay. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So if I'm sitting in my living room and I look out the window and I see a tree start moving in the backyard, I don't jump there to see if some Sasquatch is shaking the tree what do I know is happening? I know that the wind is blowing and moving that tree. Can I see the wind? No. I can't see the wind. 
but I can see the result that's being produced by the wind. Okay? So what are we talking about? We're talking about visible results from an invisible source. We're talking about miracles that people could see with their eyes being produced from a source that they could not see with their eyes. Is this making sense to you? This is very, very important. The wind blows where it wishes. In other words, he's answering Nicodemus' question. We know that you couldn't do what you do unless God is with you. Well, I'm not saying that God wasn't with Jesus. He absolutely positively was with Jesus. But Jesus is, is answering this question in a way that not only Nicodemus needs to understand and connect with, he's answering it in a way that we need to understand and we need to connect with. He's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're seeing signs that are clear and obvious and undeniable, but they're coming from a source that you cannot see and that you will never see unless you're born again. That's why he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it and cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is he saying? So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's saying everyone who's born of the Spirit, not just a, a, a select group of people like it was in the Old Testament. You know, one prophet would train up another prophet and these things would be passed along and the mantles would be passed along. See, in the, in the kingdom, in, 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 the, in the New Testament church, Every born-again believer has the potential to produce visible signs from the invisible source of the kingdom. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Every born-again man or woman has the capacity, has the aptitude to produce visible signs from an invisible source. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. <laughs> like, what? So what is he saying? He's saying nobody's gone up there, but the one who's come down from there, who happens to still be there while I'm standing right here. It's the most beautiful, descriptive way of simply saying this. Nicodemus, I'm touching two worlds at the same time, sir. I'm here, but I'm not from here. I'm here, but I'm not helping these people from resources that I have here. I'm I'm here, but I'm there, and I'm there, but I'm here. Let's go to the fulfillment of this now. As born-again believers, where are we tonight? We're seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. See, Jesus ministered to others by touching two worlds at the same time, and that is the unique position now we are in as that chosen generation, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, a special people, a special people. Was Jesus special? You better know he was but he also made you special. There's all kinds of reasons why you're special. The one we're talking about now is you're special because you also are touching two worlds at the same time. You're in Alabama. 
but you're not of Alabama. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You're, you're, wherever you are tonight watching online, you're there, but you're there in the kingdom. Amen. 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 Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for helping us tonight, Lord. Thank you for teaching us tonight. Father, my brother and your son, Jesse Duplantis, he talks about hearing things from the Word that go off in his spirit like a shotgun. I can still hear him say it, Father, in his Louisiana accent. And so, Father, my prayer tonight is that the things that we have heard and are hearing would go off inside of us like that shotgun, Father. Not, not something to startle or scare us, that's not what we mean, but something that explodes on the inside of us, something that comes alive on the inside of us, Father, something that helps us see and embrace and connect with things in ways, Father, that we've never seen, understood, or connected with them, Father, in the past. Father, I thank you that you have raised us up for such a time as this. Father, as, as we've talked in previous classes, we are who we are on purpose. We are when we are on purpose. We are who we are on purpose. We are where, why, all those things, Lord. Purpose, 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 purpose. You appointed us. You chose us. You ordained us. You set us apart so that we can do what you have called us to do, so that we can make a difference in this world for your glory. Father, we're not here to be like it. We're not trying to get away from it and escape it. We're here to change it for your glory. And with your help, we will do it, sir. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Thank you for being with us uh, today. Uh, we love you. Know that you're loved and nobody's told you that. <laughs>